0: All right, well, let's get after. it. If you have a Bible, let's go to Acts chapter eight. If you don't have one with you, there should be a black hardback underneath the seat uh, around you. We invite you to grab one of those and turn to Acts eight with us as we get started here. Missed you guys last week. Uh, Want to say thanks to Michelle uh, for filling in for me. Um, she did a great job. If you weren't there for it, it's on our podcast. You can go check it out. Uh, I love it, particularly because there's always this sense of when you leave for a little bit as a pastor that if someone does too good of a job while you're gone, you might be out of something, right, when you get back. Um, And Michelle decided to carry on our tradition of preaching depressing texts on holidays. (laughs) So I don't know if you'll... On Mother's Day, I did Ananias and Sapphira, um, the beautiful, warm, hearted tale of two people... Dying, dropping dead, I'm um, in judgment. And then last week, Michelle did Ecclesiastes, and I love how Jake put it uh, yesterday. Um, not only did she, did she do Ecclesiastes, but she went out of her way to avoid the happy parts of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Uh, but it, was a, it was a great sermon, and, and I appreciate it, Michelle. Um, we're very blessed here to have uh, lots of spiritual people in our congregation who can step up and lead us. Um, but good to be back with you guys. I was at Camp Blessing, and so want to send them, I uh, want to send us their thanks. Uh, we sent over $1,200 up there uh, to help them out, and so they very much appreciate it. Um, we are very much um, privileged to be able to, I think, partner with them uh, for the kingdom. And so I was up there for a week. I got to see, as I've seen for the past few summers, uh, just the, the magnificent things that is happening up there as, uh, men and women and often young college age students, uh, go up and minister and love on, uh, children who I really think are unreached people group, uh, in the church. Uh, so Down syndrome, autism, uh, cerebral palsy, those type of things. So thank you, um, from them to you guys. Uh, it really does mean a lot and goes a long way. One last announcement before we get started. Uh, these were out there in the hallway. If you didn't pick one up, you might want to grab one uh, if there's any left. Um, we are starting a little summer seminar thing. Um, we, we do this, um, we do more of these in the summer called The Elephant in the Room, where we are going to go through some controversial topics. So we've got Abortion, hell, homosexuality, things like that. Um, and basically the idea is to have responsible, healthy discussions uh, as the church about what the scriptures say about it. These are biblical um, kind of things. So, so how it will be, uh, you have the dates here on the sheet. And you'll have two speakers who will both kind of embody a position. Um, and they will not necessarily argue for that. In fact, um, for some of these topics, we'll have people speaking who don't actually believe what they're going to be putting forth the position for but their job is to say this is what the position is these are the arguments that people would use present it and then we'll have kind of a discussion about it um, and so the goal is again have just a responsible healthy kind of mature discussion about it so you can join us for that we've got the dates we've even got the topics linked up with the dates so if you're interested grab one of these put it in your calendars and we'll see you there for that but we'll be in acts 8 this morning as we continue on uh, in our sermon series on the book of Acts, uh, we won't go for too long this morning. We want to head over to the Joyce's uh, and have the, uh, the main show take place, the baptisms. Uh, but we will read a story here um, that's very interesting. So we'll pick it up in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Read with me. Now those who were scattered, you remember they, they just had the persecution. Stephen died, uh, and so now we're scattering, okay? Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, that's going to be important, and proclaimed to them the Christ, the Messiah. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great we're getting some harry potter going verse 10 they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest this is interesting saying this man is the power of god god that is called great and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic but when they believed philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of god and the name of jesus christ they were baptized both men and women even simon himself believed and after being baptized he continued with philip And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, two of the head honchos in Jerusalem, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For they had not yet fallen, he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to the many villages of the Samaritans. Okay, you have this interesting story here. If you'll remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus comes to the disciples. He says, here's the plan, okay? I have raised, I have ascended into heaven. You're going to go out into the world and tell people about what I've accomplished on the cross. It's going to start here in Jerusalem, but then gradually you're going to go further and further out until the whole world is kind of flipped upside down which we'll see it is by the end of the book of Acts. And so there, the, early on, uh, as far as we've seen in the story in Acts, we've been in Jerusalem, okay? The capital city of Israel. We've been in Jerusalem. They've been preaching. They've been teaching. They've been healing. People have been been getting saved. Um, then you have this persecution, and the disciples scatter. And you see Acts eight, Jesus' plan, start to happen. Not necessarily because the disciples had planned on it, or they had this kind of master strategy, but because maybe there's a Holy Spirit kind of, divinely guiding his purposes among creation and so they go to the the town of samaria which is very significant the samaritans are not are not good people i mean they're not our kind of people they're not they're not the kind of people you want to associate with um the samaritans and the jews uh had this kind of feud going on for a very very long time you remember the the parable of the good samaritan uh where the guy the samaritan goes and helps the guy on the road and you remember what's so shocking about that is because the samaritan's a good guy the samaritans aren't the good guy in fact. Probably the closest equivalent we have to Samaritans would be terrorists. They were kind of quasi-terrorists back in the first century. In fact, um, before this happened, there was an event where a few young Samaritans went to the temple in Jerusalem in the middle of the night and scattered dead bones throughout the temple, which is really bad if you're a Jew. I mean, you've just desecrated the entire temple. And so they had kind of this warfare, kind of going back on and forth, um, back and forth between them. And so Jesus comes on the scene and says, "What? Love them?" In fact. They're the good guys in the stories that I'm telling. And now you have the gospel going to the town of Samaria, the most unlikely of people to be saved. And in fact, I mean, that's one of the most beautiful truths of the gospel. That it, it doesn't, um, Jesus doesn't save those who are, who are inherently clean on their own, who have this ability to do, do, do good on their own, right? He, he goes after those who, are, who seem lost and who seem trapped and whom you might never guess would find grace, would find hope, would find life. And then, not only are they in um, Samaria, but there's this guy named Simon, who's this magician. Apparently, he's pretty good at it. Uh, he's, people call him the power of God, which is a pretty bold title. Um, but he, he's doing this magic show, okay? and he's um, got all the people amazed. And anyways, as the disciples scatter into Samaria, they start preaching. So they're not necessarily running from persecution, right? They're scattering, and they're preaching, and then people in Samaria are believing, and they're being baptized. In fact, even Simon himself is believing in being baptized. Um, the, the Jerusalem church sends Peter and John, the two head-on-shows down. They pray. The Holy Spirit comes, fills them up, and here we go, right? The Gospels now reached Samaria. It continues to go out into the world. Interesting little caveat in this story. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to get into it. We might actually come back next week and look at it. Simon uh, asked to receive the power uh, to kind of control the Holy Spirit. He gets hit pretty hard from Peter here um, about this. And I don't know if you know this. You know the word Simony? That actually comes from this story. That's how that started, uh, trying to purchase power or status, particularly like a religious type of status. Um, so Simon gets kind of rebuked by Peter. We don't know if he repented or not. I'd like to think he did. I see Simon as somewhat of a genuine guy who was just kind of trapped in this, this kind of state of magic or whatnot. Um, but here's what I want us to do. Go back in chapter 8 and look in verse, chapter, uh, verse 5. If you have a pen, you might want to underline this. Um, this is what I've got circled in my Bible. Philip is going down to the city of Samaria. He was one of the seven chosen like Stephen. And he proclaimed to them, what's his message? What does he proclaim to them? The Christ. I would circle the Christ, underline the Christ, highlight it. He's telling them about the Messiah, about the king who's come. And then if you skip back down to verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached what? Good news, gospel. As he preached gospel about the kingdom of God and the name, the authority, the power of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. This is kind of the big story in all the scriptures. And so I've got this marked like crazy in my Bible, kingdom of God. This is what they're coming to tell them about. Um, In the scriptures, the world has come under slavery. Slavery of sin and death and Satan and evil. By our own choosing, by our own sin, um, human beings, and, and in fact, according to Paul, all of creation itself is enslaved. We're under this kind of weight. And so this creates in our world all kinds of things which we would call evil and which we would cry about and which we would desire in the deepest place of our hearts for, for those things not to be there. So you have murder and you have death and sickness and cancer and you have abuse and you have poverty and you have war and you have relational troubles. You have habitual sins that cripple and destroy and all of this, according to the scriptures, is slavery. We're enslaved by our own choosing. Some kind of power has come into the world that is crippling humanity and the kingdom of God. When Jesus shows up and says, Hey, I've got good news. The kingdom of God is here. It's all about God breaking in and destroying that reign. It's about him rescuing and delivering and liberating. And we see through the gospels, he does that through Jesus, through his son, through the Messiah. And so if you read the Gospels, I mean, this is the whole story of the Gospels. Jesus is going throughout Galilee, he's preaching, and he sees evil, he says, get out of here. And he sees it, and he says, get out of here. And at every single point, he's attacking that which is enslaving creation. It's a signpost to what's happening in Jesus, that in Jesus, in his life, all that's gone wrong with creation is being dealt with, is being overturned, is being defeated. And then he goes to the cross. And he dies and he raises again. And the disciples explode in celebration. And they say, on the cross, what happened is Jesus took all that was wrong with creation on himself. He killed it there with him. And he rose in new life. With a new power. With a new reality available for humanity, for creation. And that from that day, that gospel, that good news has been working out. And so you have human beings, much like Simon who are trapped, who are enslaved in an old way of life, in a destructive way of life, who believe the good news, who start to follow Jesus, who are baptized, and you find that they're transformed, they're released, that they're saved, that gradually they're no longer under that old reign. They find their hearts changing. They find their relationships maturing. They find their lives made new. New creations, Paul says. And so Philip comes down and, and they're preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And, and people in Samaria are believing. And as they believe, notice what happens. They, they get baptized. They get baptized. This is, in the scriptures, just what you do after you believe. You get baptized. You get dunked in the water and you come out. And here's the significance of baptism. If you, if you want to go read it, um, I think one of the best passages for it is Romans 6. In Romans 6, you've got um, Paul explaining what happens in baptism. What he says is, it's a picture. I mean, it's, it's an act that we see and that we do to realize what happens when one believes and one is joined to Christ. In so much as we go into the water like we're buried with him in his death. And we're raised out of the water like we've risen with him to be in this new life. To be in the power of the Spirit. To be free from all of those evil realities. And Paul wants to remind people who have been baptized. He says, don't you you remember that? Don't you remember that you you died. With all of the old that happened, you died and then you rose again. So he says, walk in that newness of life. Don't forget that you've been transformed. You've been put in a new reality. So the beautiful news about believing and about baptism is according to the scriptures, it's what unites us to Jesus' victory. So this morning... I don't just read about people believing the kingdom of God and and being healed and things of that nature. I honestly believe at some deep point in in my, my soul, I'm a part of that. Like you might not know this. I feel like I'm connected to that. That in baptism, almost like think of a marriage of sorts. I have become one with Christ where he died in the old reality, the old world, sin and death died with him. I died and sin and death in my life died. And where he rose, I rose. And his perfection is my perfection. And his righteousness is my righteousness. And his resurrection is my resurrection. His life is my life. His fate is my fate. When we believe and we're baptized and we're transformed, we we receive the Holy Spirit. We've seen the Holy Spirit's the the power and the presence of God. He comes into our lives. And I was reminded this week as I was talking to a friend that, that sometimes we use religious language um, like Holy Spirit or like hearing the voice of God, things like that, and we don't necessarily explain it. It can cause confusion and, and possibly false expectations or disappointment. Um, so I was in a situation where someone asked a group of students, have you ever prayed to God and had him fill your heart up with joy as a response to that prayer because you were in a tough situation? And every one of these students, most of whom, uh, again, are pretty fairly strong Christians, went, no, that's never happened. I've never had like a kind of a miraculous type thing where I'm like, God, I'm really frustrated. Please fill my heart with joy. And all of a sudden I could feel something like, I was a little bit heavier in the chest, right? My heart was filled up with joy. And I was like, oh, wow, this situation's awesome now. I'm super happy. But like, that's never, does that happen to you? That's never happened to me. Is that supposed to be happening? And so my, my buddy was like, well, hold on. Let's explain this. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been praying and you've been frustrated and then God's given you a sign or he sent someone into your life with a conversation or prayer? Or you've spotted something out of the corner of your eye that fills you up with new energy and new hope. He says, maybe that's what we're talking about. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not necessarily talking about um, some strange, divine, miraculous figure that we interact with um, at every single second of our life. We're talking about the power and presence of God. We're talking about the still, small voice that speaks to you. We're talking about that nagging that exists in your life that won't let you do what you want to do. We're talking about that feeling of revelation when you open up the scriptures and you feel like, this is talking to me. We're talking about that moment when you pray and you feel like you're there with God. You feel like he's wrapped you up in his arms and you just want to be there with you and him. And as believers believe, follow, get baptized, so we say that the Holy Spirit comes and fills them up and they start living out this life of transformation um, I was also talking with the, the, my same buddy um, this week, and we were talking about conversion stories uh, as people uh, you know share their testimony. I, I once you know did drugs and had sex and killed seven people, and now I'm a Christian, um, and so they kind of tell you know their stories. And it was interesting, we got to talking about how if you really pay attention in your own life and in the lives of other people, conversion is a messy thing. It's slow and it's messy. And it's dirty, and the timeline is usually a little bit shady. And that's just kind of the reality how it is. And in fact, I mean, that's kind of how God works. It's slow and it's gradual. It's like growing up, growing taller. You don't necessarily know it at the time, but you see it kind of happening. But what's happened in um, a lot of the world and a lot of part of Christianity, we we tell stories of conversion um, in language that makes it seem like it was a blink of the eye, right? So... I used to do all this crazy stuff, right? I was a serial killer. Uh, I organized, right? I mean, this mass invasion. Um, And then all of a sudden, one night I prayed. The next morning I woke up. Jesus was right here. Holy Spirit was right here. The Father was right here. And we walked forth in holiness for the rest of my life. And it was just this, right, like snap decision. Everything changed. But that's never the case. Now, it's, it's easy to tell a story like that. And in fact, it's kind of hard to tell the story when you try to work through all the little caveats that happen in your life. But you never want to create like false expectations. You never want to create disappointment. Believing, being baptized. You see it here. There's this gap between their baptism and then them receiving the Holy Spirit. And then even then, Simon, who I think, again, as I read the story, is a genuine guy. Simon immediately falls on his face. And Peter, who's not, if we're being honest, the last few chapters, has not been the most gracious guy. Ananias and Sapphira lie about a little bitty... Some of money, right? They give a whole lot to the church, leave a little bit out, and he says, You're dead, and they die. <laughs> Here Simon asks for money to have this kind of power, and Peter says, practically, you're probably gonna die with your money. Simon, of course, repents. Here's why I like Simon, because that sounds like me. Because I didn't get baptized and then just walked around in holiness. I got baptized and the next day someone was like, You're awful. Did you not realize any of this things that happened? and I'm like, okay, I gotta repent. Please don't let these things happen to me. And you get back to my scriptures and you start praying again. Those type of things. So so this morning we get to celebrate and proclaim um, what Jesus has done and the, the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the way we do this is, is through primarily two acts that Jesus gave us. One we have communion, two we have baptism. And these are the two things Jesus said, just do these things. And you'll remember and you'll proclaim to the rest of the world. So there's this sense of, when we do this, it's a sign to the world. I mean, it's, this, it's kind of this bold, cocky claim that something's happened here. That, that the powers to be of the old world have ended. And so when we go into the water and we raise up, it's a, it's a sign that the reign of sin, the reign of death, the reign of evil is over. And while there might be yet a little bit of destructive energy to them. A little bit of pseudo-power that they seem to still hold in our world. It's coming to an end. And our Lord's return will be finished. So it's a sign. It's a sign to the world around us that we are united with Christ. We're raised with him. There's a new world that's opened up for us. Why? Because through Jesus, God dealt with what had gone wrong with creation. And he's opened up a path of life for those who would follow. Who would go into the water, who would come out, who would take a piece of bread and dip it in the wine and say, This is a sacrifice for me. I'm with him. I'm united with him. And so we celebrate, we proclaim. And then also, I think there's this, this aspect where, I mean, if you go to, I'm not married, okay, but if you go to a wedding, I'm imagining if you are married, you probably remember your wedding. Is that right? I mean, that's just a guess in the dark. You probably think about your wedding a little bit, right? <clears throat> Unless you're trying to block it out, I don't know <laughs> what the scenario would be where you're like, you, I mean, you remember kind of your vows. You remember that time in your life. And so I think there's this aspect of almost remembering our baptisms when we see others baptized, of remembering um, what Jesus has done in us and for us. And then of probably like Simon repenting a little bit and saying, yeah, I need to, I need to kind of move on and get serious again and move forward. And then there's this overall aspect, I think, to the the celebration of worship, that we're thanking God. We're thanking God that even though we're Samaritans and we're Simon, that he's saved, and that he's good, and that he gives grace, and that he invites us and says, get in the water and come out. I will unite myself with you. You will be with me. I'll take you into this new world. And so this morning we we praise him uh, for his love and for his grace, uh, for the fact that we were once dead. Slaves, scripture says. Ephesians 2, dead in our sins, no hope, rightly getting what comes our way, which is destruction, wrath. But in his love, he stepped in and said, no, thank you. These people are mine. Come with me. And so we, we love and we follow and we rejoice. And today we, we get to do that, I think, in a very special way. So let me pray for us, um, and then we'll head over there. Father, we, we love you. Uh, we thank you for... Uh, what you have done through Jesus and how you continue to reveal yourself to us uh, and continue to grow us and mature us. We thank you for the grace that you show us um, when, like Simon, we fall uh, and, and when, like Simon, we don't realize the implications necessarily of, of all the grace that you've shown us in the kingdom that you have brought, Father. Uh, we pray that you would send your spirit today, that you would fill us up, that you would give us a fresh filling of who you are and what you're doing in creation. Uh, we pray that you would be with those being baptized today. Uh, that you would wrap them up in your love, um, that you would infuse your spirit inside of them and over them and around them, Father, um, that they would know you and be known by you. Uh, we pray for our community, uh, our church here, that we would um, in power and in grace uh, go and be your witnesses uh, in Sugarland and the, the greater Houston area, Father. We love you and we thank you. Once in your son's name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to get to the joists as fast as possible. This means we don't need to clean up. We don't need to put up chairs. We need to grab our kids, okay? We've got directions uh, that will be out in the hallway. Our two deacons, Jason and Nicole. Right here and right there. Uh, We'll have directions to the Joyce's house. We want to get over there as fast as possible. Again, if you're a visitor, we'd love, 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 love for you to come join us. This is our favorite thing in the world to do. uh, So we'd love to share it with you. We'll head to the Joyce's. Get there fast. If you don't get there fast, you're going to miss out on the fun. We'll get there. We'll baptize. And then we'll eat. All right? Uh, So we'll see you there. Okay?